All right, am I on? Test one, two. Testing. All right, I think there we go. There we go. All right, let me uh, see if I can get this going real quick. There we go. Ah, much prettier. Sometimes I'd be lost without this stuff. All right, if everyone would uh, come on in, we'll get started with a word of prayer. I do need water. Thank you. She got it. She's running. Uh, all right, we're going to uh, go to God in prayer, but we're also going to uh, pray for Miss Hilda Lynn. Uh, most of y'all know her. She was uh, experiencing chest pains this morning, so they uh, got the ambulance there, and I think uh, had to kind of make her go to the emergency room, but uh, that's where she's at now, so we'll, uh, we'll say a special prayer for her, and then we'll get started. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the many blessings you give us, and we thank you for the freedom and the opportunity we have to come here and to worship you, to study your word, and to just learn more about you and take what we learn and, and use it to, to further your kingdom, Lord. I ask that you be with us as we, we start this new, um, this new series, this new, new class uh, that we're going to start and help us to be able to learn it, to help maybe just further our knowledge a little bit about who we are and, and why we believe what we believe and, and do the things we do. And Lord, I ask a special prayer for Miss Miss Hilda Lynn. You you know the situation. You you know she's uh, been a strong Christian of yours for for a long time, and we just ask that you bless her and 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 heal her and help her to be able to continue on for many more years. And it's in Christ. Let me pray. Amen. All right. So, um, excuse me, my, my eye contacts are just dirt in it. Um, we've the, we spent the last two weeks on on a series called the Bible. Thank you very much. I don't know what it is about talking. My mouth just goes as dry as can be. But we um we 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 did a two week series in the Bible and just kind of get the the history of the Bible, um where you know where it came from, all the authors and and how it's progressed over the the last few years or the last you know two or three hundred years. And so what I thought, well, while we were on that, I thought, well, why don't we transition into it? And, and part of the reason why I'm, I'm doing this is because, one, I've had a lot of people ask about it. And, and what I've learned is if a lot of people are asking about it, then it's probably something we need to talk about or, or, or study or, or, or teach on. So the, the series that we're going to do now is called Why. And, and it's going to be Why Do We Believe What We Believe? And, and as, as, the, as what we, we call the church or churches of Christ, why is it we believe what we do? And so I'm going to study this. Now, I'm going to do it probably a little bit different than maybe what you've seen in the past because I can't be like anyone, everyone else, and I've got to do things differently. But my approach to this is not going to be just we believe this, we're 100% right, and everyone else is wrong. All right? My approach to this is, go this is going to be this is why we believe what we believe. This is the biblical answers or, or reasons behind it. But in areas where I think that we have been wrong, or maybe in error, I'm going to discuss that. Now, some of that will be my opinion, but I'm not going to go way off into left field and, 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 and have everyone running for the doors, hopefully. Um, but I, but I, think, I think one of the things that we've done in the past that's hurt us as, as, a, as a church is we've kind of buckled down into this, we're 100% right, about everything, and we've got all the answers, and anyone else who is not us is wrong. 
And I want to get away from that a little bit because, one, we're human and we're not perfect. And so we need to look at some of the things that maybe we've, areas where we can always improve. One of the things I like to focus on is I don't want to get stagnant in the fact that, and, and belief that, well, we've arrived and we're where we need to be, right? I want us to always be pushing forward in growth, learning, and continuous learning so we continue to grow. And so that's going to be kind of my approach uh, as I go through this. I hope I don't say anything or do anything that causes anyone to have a heart attack. That's not going to be my, my, my plan, but, but I am going to be a little more real, I think, sometimes than, than what maybe people have in the past when they've gone through some of this. So the first thing I want to do, if we're going to look at why we are who we are and why we believe what we believe, the first thing I think we should look at is our history. <clears throat> kind of see where we came from. Now, the church of Christ, or churches of Christ as we call them, was born out of the Restoration Movement in the early 1800s, late 1700s mostly early 1800s. Now, what a lot of people will say, and, and I understand where they're coming from when they say this, they'll say, no, the Church of Christ was what was founded on uh, in 30 or something A.D. when Christ, you know, on that day of Pentecost. I understand where they're coming from and what they're saying, and, th and there's truth behind what we are achieving to become, but that's not where our history, that what we call the Churches of Christ, that is not where our history comes from. All right, we, we've attempted to go back to that, but if we actually look at it, for a long time there, there was, there were no, there was no church called the Church of Christ. It was, there was a lot of Catholicism, and then there was a lot of, uh, you had the Church of England, and you had a lot of the, your Presbyterian and Baptist churches that, that came out of those, and then that came in the 1800s. The Restoration Movement started to, to try to get us back to the Restoration of, of, or they called themselves actually the Reformation um, as well, to get them back to what the church was in the New Testament or to go back to the New Testament church. So I understand when, when, when people say, you know, where's, where, where's your history, where did you begin? Well, it was uh, in Acts. It, yes, that is what we are attempting to get back to, but our actual, actual history is different than that. And, and we're going to look at that a little bit. Who in here is real familiar or has, has studied the Restoration Movement? I know, I know Dad has, Frankie. Okay. It's, it's an interesting change in, of events that, that happened in, in American history, and a lot of it spurred out of the, you know, the, the revolution, us founding of America, and, and freedom. So there was a lot of, of that that was involved with it, is, is the continual religious freedom uh, that we see today, and that's what kind of spurred the, the restoration movement as well. So the restoration movement back in the day it, it really didn't get the Restoration Movement name until the, the, about the 1900s, early 1900s. But it was known at that time as the American Restoration Movement, or more commonly it was known as the Stone-Campbell Movement. And the reason it was known as the Stone-Campbell Movement was because it was two people, uh, Stone and, and, and Thomas Campbell, and then his son Alexander, who started a breakaway from the Presbyterian Church. And so we're going we're to look at that a little bit. The Stone Movement was started by Barton Stone. He wasn't actually, he was a Presbyterian minister uh, with the Presbyterian Church, ordained. But as he, as he studied the Word, 
one of the things that really bothered him was the Calvinistic doctrines of the Presbyterian Church. And if you're not familiar with Calvinism, in kind of a summary, Calvinism says that uh, we are totally deprived, that we cannot come to God by ourselves, uh, and the only way is for him to actually choose us to become Christians, uh, and that he sends his Holy Spirit to do that. Even we don't make that choice, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes. And so it kind of, um, and all this was predestined before time. He chose before he created earth, who was going to go to heaven, who was going to go to hell, and that's kind of a blanket statement of, uh, or overview of, of Calvinism. And he struggled with that as, as, he, as he read it. So one of his breakaway and the breakaway of his movement was the emphasis of, on, on freedom, and that, that, that emphasis was so strong. One, it was a breakaway from denominationalism. And so in a lot of the denominational, there was creeds, there was, there was a lot of things that they had to do, they couldn't do. And so the, the religious freedom inside a lot of the churches at that time was not there. And so they actually broke away from it so far, and, and they focused so hard on religious freedom that they avoided, they actually didn't develop any like ecclesiastical traditions in the church. It, it was almost kind of a, it was, it was, Almost, a, I don't say a free for all, but there was no structure, um, there was no form or anything. They, they basically, the only thing that held them together was that they, their goal was to what we would call get back to the New Testament church. They called primitive Christianity, get back to the primitive side, how it was when it first started. And so their goal was primitive Christianity. I mean, they 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 were there were there was hardly any structure to them, hardly any makeup to them, and so it was interesting. Uh, to see that movement break away and, and from the, uh, the Presbyterian Church. And they, they kind of started their um, formation in, in, in Cane Ridge, Kentucky, in the Kentucky movement. And, and you'll see a lot of this in the Ohio Valley, Pennsylvania area of, is where a lot of this got its start. In 1810, there were three movements that merged together, and they called themselves either the Christian Connection or just the Christian Church. Their goal was to just get back to a basic Christian name. And so they figured Christian church was a, a pretty good basic, back to the basics information. And like I said, their focus was Christian freedom, the rejection of creeds and traditions, and their focus was on, on what they called primitive Christianity. Getting back to the kind of the basics, right? Then around the same time, you had the Campbell movement, that broke out and Campbell he also was a Presbyterian minister and in 1809 he broke away from the Presbyterian church a group of him and his followers did and they formed what at the time what was the Christian Christian Association of Washington and this was in Washington Pennsylvania and their main goal was Christian unity they felt that they could find a set of reasonable, essential doctrines in, in the Bible that everyone could unify around. And, and kind of basically what it was is, look, we can, find, we can find these core things like salvation and stuff like that that we should be able to unify around. And then the rest of it, you know, it, it, there's, there's gray area, right? There, there's what, you know, so we can become unified in this, and we don't have to agree on all this other stuff. And, and that actually worked for a little bit, um, they were actually partnered with a, a Baptist church for about 20 years uh, in that area, in a Baptist uh, uh, 
community in that area. But the, the rift started to become so much that they actually ended up, up splitting off. So um, they formed the Brush, or Thomas Campbell formed the Brush Run Church in, in 1811. And, and some notes here was that there was a concept of rational faith that was formulated and defended based on facts derived from the Bible. His, his solution was hopefully to achieve Christian unity combined forsaking the creeds and traditions which he believed had divided Christians and would recover, again, the primitive Christianity found in Scripture that was common for all, all Christians. And so the idea was basically to strip away the denominationalism, the creeds, all the, the things that are written, and just get back to the basics and get back to the Bible. And we, we talk about that and speak a lot about that. His son Alexander um, anticipated and, and really thought, and I thought this was an interesting view that, that Alex Campbell had, he anticipated that their movement and the progress of the church and society would lead to an age of peace and righteousness before the return of the Christ. Unfortunately, he, he was wrong on that. Um, it, it seems like it's gotten worse. <laughs> um, but uh, but he, he believed in, a, in a, a thing called millennialism, which was that they thought that the church would become unified and everyone would kind of be a harmonious and there would be peace and, and, and all the, you know, these really, it would just be really good right before Christ came back. And, and I think if he read a little bit of Revelations a little deeper, then he would notice that's not true. But um, we'll talk about that another time. But anyway, so it was really a, a, a unity type movement. They wanted to unify around the basics around that. So Alexander Campbell, he came to America in 1809, the same time his father broke away from, uh, from the Presbyterian Church. And I, I called him one of the first Christian bloggers. Um, he actually bought a printing press. And he pr produced a writing called The Christian Baptist. Um, whenever they broke away from the, the merger uh, or the association with uh, the Baptist church that they were kind of working with at the time, they cha he changed the name to the Millennial Harbinger. And uh, that, that name had a lot to do with... Uh, harboring in, bringing in the, the millennial that was, that was coming about that they, they thought was going to be a big thing in, with, the, with Christ returning. So those were kind of the, I guess if we want to call the founders of the Restoration Movement, those, that, those two groups would be the foundation of the Restoration Movement. So what we had in the Campbell Movement, the ideals, like I said, was set, they, were, they wanted to unify and restore. And basically unify under restoration. They felt that, look, we can come together on these basic things and, and find unity around it and work out the differences. And, and, the, and it was a good idea and it was a good movement. And there was a lot of people who, who joined that. Uh, and we'll, and we'll, we'll see some of that. So in 1832, the two movements merged. You had the, the Stone-Campbell merger, and it, it happened in 1832. It was formalized at the Hill Street Meeting House in Lexington, Kentucky, it was actually, it was, uh, was interesting, it was formalized with a handshake. Um, Stone, um, there was a handshake between Stone and another member, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, uh, the Campbells themselves were not able to actually make it to that. And so, then they started this, and they called themselves the Reformation Movement. They, you know, they felt like they were reforming the church again to become more like the church that, that Christ had established. The term restoration that we kind of use today didn't come about until the 1900s. 
But they, one of the neat things I liked about what they did, they were big on the free exchange of ideas, of having conversations and, and I guess like searching, I guess for searching for knowledge almost. They actually welcomed people and he would publish people who had vastly different ideas and um, beliefs than they did. And they would actually welcome them into the church. They would have conversations with them. They would do debates with them on a regular basis. So it was kind of interesting to see, in a way, we've progressed to a point where if you don't agree with us or you don't fall in line with what we believe, then we're really not going to have much to do with you. And back then, they used that as an opportunity to teach and, and, and bring others in and say, hey, look, this is what you believe, but this is what we believe, and actually we're able to progress and, and convert a lot of people that way. Go ahead. Yeah. He, Thomas and Alexander Campbell both they were excellent debaters, and and they used we used the word debate differently than they did. Yeah, we, yeah. we used it more in an argumentative sense. They didn't do that no. more reason, but but they were very very successful in converting um, not only denominational preachers but sometimes entire churches. Yeah, in, in a yep. denomination through that. Yeah, it, it was. If you look back at their history, and, and Dad's right. When we think think of the term debate now. We think of a, a free-for-all, insults and, and things like that. Yeah, attack each other. Back then, a debate was, it was a civilized, you had a, a gentlemanly discussion, right? You would present your information, and then they would present their information, and then you would counter with, you know, with, with the facts that you had. It wasn't getting up there and attacking people and, and, and telling, you know, kind of like what we see today. You know, the debate today is a lot different than what it was back then. It was a lot more civilized. And so... Through that, and this is where the the idea of you know the, the people of, from the from the Church of Christ really know their Bible because they did. They really studied. They were they were able to debate and have conversations around these things and convert a lot of people through that. So it was interesting to see. Sometimes I think we've erred on the side of that, where it's like, well, if you don't believe what we believe or or do what we do, then we're going to separate from you and and you're not part of us anymore, or we're not going to have anything to do with you. Whereas they were the opposite. They actually encouraged people who were opposite from them to come and have conversation with them and be, you know, and, and, and work with them and say, hey, you know, look, we can show you this and we can have conversations here. So I thought that was uh, a little bit interesting. So from 1832 to, to about, I say 1906, that 1906 was kind of when it was formalized. There was a, there was a division growing um, shortly after the Civil War into the, into the 1900s. There was a, a separation um, of the, what they called, and they were called, I'm sorry, I went, meant to go back to this. They called themselves, and this was, was funny, from the very beginning they couldn't decide on what to call themselves. So they, were, they, were, they called themselves either the Disciples of Christ or Christians or Christian Church. So those were the, the two names for the, the original, what we call now the Church of Christ. In 1906, there was a separation uh, between the Churches of Christ and, and what we call now, or what it's called now, the Disciples of Christ or the Christian Church. And there was kind of, uh, there was three or four things that kind of really played into that. One was the Civil War. Uh, if you look at the split between the Christian Church and the Church of Christ, it's almost a north and south type separation. Uh, most of the Christian churches were in the north. Most of the Church of Christ's were in the south, what we call the south, West Virginia. <laughs> um, you know, places like that. Y'all, we don't, you know, Georgia doesn't call that the South, but um, it was around that, that West Virginia break and, and, and line. In fact, um, where 
Alexander Campbell lived before the Civil War was in Bethany, Virginia, which is now Bethany, West Virginia. So West Virginia was formed during the Civil War. So it was that Ohio Valley area and stuff that, that, that they were very prominent. Go ahead. That I thought was very interesting, Archibald Campbell, who was a nephew of Alexander, <clears throat> was the one instrumental force in uh, actually persuading the, the Virginia legislature of northern or western Virginia, yep. as it's called, to break off and to oppose slavery. Yes. Uh, yep. He, he, yep. Because he, he, he based that on his Christian belief. Yep. So, yep. so West Virginia is West Virginia today because of Archibald Campbell. Yep. Yep. I was going to, I had that, so I'm glad you put it in there. <laughs> That's all right. Um, but no, I mean, no, you're fine. You're fine. It is, and that is an interesting fact that, that because of that, West Virginia was formed, and, and it was all around, around slavery. And so that's where a lot of the, the break from was. Um, was, one, the Civil War, two, missionary societies and conventions. So the Christian church felt it was okay to have get-togethers and conventions and to have missionary-type groups and societies that would go out. And for some reason at the time, the, the Church of Christ did not. And so there was a split there. And then the, the biggest one was instrument. And again, this was more of a north and, north and south split, and you still kind of see this today, was the use of instruments in, in the worship service. And there was a split there. of, And a lot of it was more urban, too, and rural. The urban areas felt it was okay to use uh, instrumental music, whereas the more <coughs> rural, traditional areas did not. And so there, there was a big split there. One of the other things that I forgot to put in the notes here was the speaking of women in public. Now, and I'm not talking about in worship, but in public. The Christian church felt it was okay for women to speak in public about certain things, whereas we were on the wrong side of this, and the Church of Christ did not. So, <laughs> so <clears throat> again, like I said, I'm going to be honest with some of the things that we, we cover here. So it was, they, they had like, they had women's societies for, um, <clears throat> for, for outreach and spiritual growth and things like that, and, and, and spreading the word through, through women's groups. And the Church of Christ did not feel that that was scriptural and they shouldn't be doing that, and also that they should not be speaking in public. So, again, this was late 1800s, early 1900s. This wasn't like 20 years ago. So, <laughs> so but again, I'm going to be honest with when we look at the history of this stuff. Um, one of the other things was the belief system around uh, whether it was something was mentioned in the Bible or not mentioned in the Bible and basically, it split along two ones. One, <clears throat> the more conservative side in the Church of Christ said, well, if it's not mentioned, then it's not allowed. And the Christian church said, well, if it's not forbidden, then it could be considered. And there was some split along that. And, and we're going to look at some of that as we, as we go a little bit further on into our studies of kind of what that division looked like. You know, there, there are some people in the church who say, well, if Jesus and the apostles didn't talk about it, then it's not authorized. Then there's also some who, who go a little different and say, well, if it's not forbidden, then it is authorized. So obviously to a, to a point, right, it, it can be considered. So we're going to look at that and we're going to study that a little bit and see what that kind of breaks down into and, and looks like if we, if we stick to the hard left of that or the hard right of that and, and what that can lead to. So just kind of over you, and I don't know if you'll be able to see this. I don't know if you'll be able to read it, but go based on the colors. This is kind of a history from 1800. It's the far left. 
all the way to 2020 on the far right. And you can see where early on you had the two movements, and then you see where they were merged for almost 100 years. And then you see the, the branches off of that. You had the Christian church and then the independent Christian churches and then uh, the Church of Christ, and then that's, that flew a little bit more and then went into the International Church of Christ. I'm not really going to talk about that uh, a whole lot. But um, <clears throat> for the most part, uh, when this split happened, there was about 3 million or so members of the different churches of Christ or, or, or breaks off of that. So that's kind of a history lesson on kind of our, our origin story. What I would say is, is the, the origin story of, of, of where we, we came from and kind of the movement that come out of that. Now, again, our, our goal was to, to, to get back to the New Testament church, you know, follow their example. But, again, that's kind of the, the historical context of, of where we as the churches of Christ came out of. Any questions, comments? Go ahead. I think that shows, you, you can look in the, the, what we call the Church of Christ directory or where the saints yeah. meet or what used to be called that's put out every five or six years. And they have on one page a different codes mm -hmm. where, you know, what flavor, so to speak, of all these different churches are. And I forget how many there are now. <laughs> but I think it's for, five or six now, I think. No, it's more Is it more than that? that? Okay, maybe. But for all of Alexander Campbell and all their nobility and wanting to unify and be, be one church and be united, we have not done that very well. No, no. And I think that's just the nature of, of how humans are. I mean, it's, it's sad, but there, there's going to be division and there's going to be contention, and, and we don't handle that division and contention well sometimes. And instead of trying to work it out, we just decide, well, we're going to go our separate ways and, and do our separate thing. And, and, this is, and that's kind of where, why we are where we're at today with the number of churches you see. I mean, there's, I think they said there, I forget, there's over like, there's several hundred different types of denominations or, or branches off of denominations and and so that's kind of what's, what's happened even in, in the Church of Christ or Disciples of Christ history that we see there. All right, so why we believe what we believe. So if you look at our history, the, the main core of, of the Restoration Movement and what we call the Churches of Christ was to get back to the basics of the New Testament church, who they were, strip away all the, the tenets of, of Catholicism and and um, you know denominationalism and, and creeds and all these things and just kind of wipe it away and start at the very beginning of what did the church look like what were the things that they did and so we attempt to to be the New Testament church and so one of the, the one of the principles or one of the core I say tenets of how we get there is what's called the pattern principle and what this is is basically if you look in the Bible and you see a pattern for something, then that is probably, or is, was intended and put there on purpose. And so that was God's purpose. And so we're going to look around the different patterns that we see around different things in the Bible. Everything from faith to baptism to how they met to the things they did when they met. And we're going to, we're going to look at that. And the other thing that this proves with the pattern principles is God did not just wink it, wing it, right? He didn't just wake up one day and be like, hey, Jesus, Holy Spirit, you want to create some people today? Right? He, 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 there was a plan 
behind everything that he did for the church throughout the Bible. We see that throughout the Old Testament. Everything in the Old Testament that is in the Old Testament speaks to and, and, and looks forward to the coming of Christ and the establishment of the church. And so... God's eternal purpose. Yep, and we're going to look at that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ephesians 3, 9 and 11. Paul talks here, he says, I was chosen to explain everyone the mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the very beginning. So, again, this is something that he established from the beginning. God's purpose is in all that was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ our Lord. So from the very beginning, from day one, or before day one, and this is what I, I think sometimes we fail to understand, is he chose to do what he did, even though he didn't have to. You know, I, mean, I think sometimes we forget that he created us knowing full well that he was going to have to send his son to die for us, right? So he could avoid it all and said, you know what, this really isn't worth it, and just could have left the three of them just, just hanging out. But he did it anyways. That, that shows the love that he had. And he carried this plan out through Christ Jesus. And we're, and we're going to look at that. If you look in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7, he says, No, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. Again, he planned all this out. Everything we see, this whole pattern of everything we, we see from the beginning to the end was planned out before it, it, it even all started. And then in 2 Timothy 1.9, for God gave, uh, saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because this was the plan from the, before the beginning of time to show us His grace through Christ, Christ Jesus. So he showed us his grace before he created the world, knowing full well that Christ Jesus was going to, have to pay for his life, pay by him with his life to save us before he created it. You got you got to think about that because think about it for a minute. You know that if you do something, you know, say you you have a kid, and you know that if you do something, that your kid is going to die, but it's going to save a whole bunch of people's lives. Who in here has kids that's still going to do it? I'm not. I'm sorry. The rest of y'all just going to die. That, that is the love and the grace that we see in this pattern from the very beginning. And so this is kind of the, the start of where our, our belief starts, right? We believe that God created everything, had, this, had a grand plan before he did it all to save us, so that we could be with him one day. And if you, if you really sit down and, and think about it, it it's, it's really amazing. So the thought then is, if God has a pattern and a plan for his church, then we should probably follow it. Is that a good assumption? <laughs> All right. So this is kind of the pattern that we start with. And we're, like I said, we're going to start at the basics, and we're going to go through it. I'm not sure how long this is going to take, but we'll go until, it, until we... Uh, we get there. That pattern starts with 
the fact, well, when we get into the Old New Testament, at least we'll start there, there's just one church. And this is Christ's church. And that's part of the reason why we call ourselves the Church of Christ. Because that is a, a, a basic thing. Now, I'm going to get a little sidetracked here a little bit. A lot of times we make a big deal about a name. All right? And I understand where some of this comes from, right? Things like Church of God and Church of Christ. And, and we'll harp on, I've seen people harp on this more than anything else. But let me tell you this. It does not matter what the name you put on your building is if you're not following what Jesus asked you to do. So you can be Church of Christ, you can be whatever you want to call it. If you actually look in the Bible, there's about 50 different names or descriptions for God's church. And so there's not just one particular name that you have to go by. So I want to kind of emphasize that. But when we talk, when I talk about Christ's church or the Church of Christ, I am talking about His body, which we're going to look at here. So the Church of Christ is those who have been saved, right? Added to his church. It's not a physical building. It is, it is a group of people who have followed what Jesus has commanded and have been added to his church. And, and this is where I'm going to say, I think sometimes, especially in the past, we've taken this a little bit too far. And terms like the one true church and, you know, unless you're a member of the church of Christ, and, and they don't mean... Christ church, they mean, unless you're a member of a, a building that has the Church of Christ on the front of it, and in, unless you're baptized in that actual building, or someone who is a member of that, that, that particular church, then you're not saved. That's where that was taken a little bit too far, and, and I think we have to backtrack from that a little bit. Now, I think we've done a good job of that. I, I think if you look now, for the most part, you're not going to see that, that type of teaching in, in a lot of churches. Now, not to say we don't follow what we believe, and we're going we're gonna to study that. We're not going to have time to get into it today, but we're going to say it. But we cannot say that we, as a, a group of people with a building, are, are the one true church. Because one, that's putting a lot of pressure on us, because I'm going to tell you we haven't gotten there yet. And, and so we are attempting to be the New Testament church and, and become the church that's there but we have not gotten there yet, and I don't know if we ever will because we are imperfect people, and that's something we're going to have to strive to get to. So, that's kind of my side note around that. So the church is those who have been, been saved, been added to the church, and we're going to look at how that's done. We then are the body of Christ. Dad's been talking about this. He's going to continue a lesson on this. When we are added to his church, we are the body of Christ. There is one body. There is not Christ who has one head and 14 different bodies. There is Christ and then his body and those people who have been added to it. And we're going we're to look at that. And we, we see this in Ephesians 1, 22, verses 23 and 23. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. And then the next section of that, of, of one church, one body, that has been purchased by him. Right? No one else. No one else 
has sacrificed. And this is part of the reason why I think we emphasize sometimes on the, what we call ourselves, right? The church of Christ, right? Because we are Christ's church. We belong to him. So that's the reason why we, we focus heavily on that name. And so if we look at this in Acts 20, 28, so guard yourself and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock. His church purchased with his own blood over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. All right, so we are one body. We are one church. God is the head of that, or Christ is the head of that church. And he purchased that church with his own blood. And then we are made holy. God has made us holy when we do what he asks us to do and become part of his church. If you look in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 1 and 2, <clears throat> this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from other brothers, and from our brothers, Sothenus, I'm sorry. I am writing to God's church in Corinth to you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus. Some versions say sanctified. I, I like the word holy because sanctified means holy. And, and so I like it being broken down into that. Just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord and our Lord. So to break it down, there's one church that was planned from the beginning, that was bought by Christ, and there's only one way into that church. Any comments or questions so far? Well, I just don't know how to word them. <laughs> <laughs> and again, we're going to continue to break all this down. So this is not going to be a, well, here you go, there's a big summary. We're, we're going to break this down as we, as, we, um, as we go through the weeks. So that brings me to Ephesians 4, 5. There is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to stop right here on one faith. Um, give y'all back. I, I've taken ten minutes the last two weeks. So I'll give y'all back five. Um, <laughs> but, but if we look, and, and I want you to look in, into this. So we're going to look at the pattern of faith in the Bible. How, how faith played itself out throughout the New Testament and in the Bible. And, and the key verse here is going to be Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convi conviction of things not seen. So we'll 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 start there. But I, but I hope this I hope this series will, will continue on. I, I think it's a, going to be a good series because I do think sometimes one I, I think we have some situations where people are in the church or new to the church and they really don't understand a lot of the things of, of why we believe them. But then you also have people who've been been was born and raised in the church and I think there's even there you have some people who who really don't understand fully a lot of the things why we believe them and the, and the scriptural backing behind it. A lot of times it's like, well, I know I believe that, but I don't know exactly why I believe it, you know, or where it is, or, or, or can tell you why. So I, I want to look into it and be able to answer all those questions. That way if someone says, well, why do you believe this? You can say, okay, well, this right here is why, this right here is why, this is right, right here is why. And, and it's pretty solid evidence of, of the things that we um, can show in the Bible 
that that is the truth of God's word. And so I think that's an important thing to be able to do. Because if you can't do that, then, then you're not going to be able to convert anyone. And, and so that's the, the, that's the critical thing, too. One, it's good for us, for us to learn and, and know these things, to get closer to God, to understand who God is. But at the same time, if we don't understand who we are and, and why we are who we are and why we believe what we believe, then there's no way you can convert someone else who doesn't believe at all. It's like, well, I really don't know why I don't believe, or why I believe this, I just know I do. You know, you, you, it's not going to be a, a very convincing uh, testimony. So I, I think this is going to be important in, in leading that. Any questions or comments? You're allowed to speak now, Dale. <laughs> well, um, we can do them. So what we do them, we do them by series. So if you go to a, the, the church's website or our YouTube channel, they'll, these will be on there in order. And so you'll see a series on there called Why, and they'll be in order by date. And I'll have the title of them of what we're talking about in that subject. So, but yeah. All right, any, any questions, comments? All right, we'll continue next week into, into faith, and, and I think we'll hit faith and baptism and some other things next week. Thank you.